Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week I am joined by the lovely Roz Purcell. Now you may know Roz as an Irish model, author of the Natural Born Feeder cookbooks and creator of The Hike Life. And in today's episode we really just chat and have a really honest conversation about Roz's own journey with her eating disorders and how she did the hard work of healing from those eating disorders and getting to the place that she's in today. It was a really lovely conversation but I just do want to point out that content warning on this episode if you're not in the headspace for chat about eating disorders and eating disorder behaviors then this might not be the episode for you. But as always, before we get into the episode, it is time to hear from our Train Happy Trooper of the week. This week's Train Happy Trooper is the lovely Karen, and she sent this message via Instagram. Our Instagram is at Train Happy Podcast, for those who want to go and follow us. And Karen says, hello, love the pod, and I had a train happy moment today I have to share. As the weather is warming up, I've started to run again, but I've challenged myself to not track it in any way. Just listen to my body and how it feels. No timekeeping, no set distances, no heart rate monitoring, nothing. Just paying attention to what I feel like that day and a damn good playlist. Today, I almost had a happy cry halfway through because I felt so amazing, but also tired. Even though I started out a bit too fast because I got caught up in the music and had to walk for a bit towards the end, I didn't beat myself up about it and just had a laugh when I finished. I never thought I'd enjoy running, but here I am, super tired and super happy. Karen, that is the definition of a train happy moment and I am here for it. Thank you so much for sharing. It's so lovely to hear you just enjoying yourself and taking the pressure away so that by taking away that pressure and all those kind of external measures, you just get to enjoy yourself and that is what it should be all about. If you would like to have your train happy moment read out on the podcast and be our train happy trooper of the week, please get in touch. You can email us trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a direct message like Karen did on Instagram, which is at trainhappypodcast. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into this week's chat with the lovely Roz Purcell. Roz, welcome to the Train Happy Podcast. I'm so happy we could make it. How are you? How is your broken leg? Yeah, so when we were meant to record, I was like, Tally, I've broken my leg. And, you know, I kept thinking, will I get home in time to do it? And then I was like, I don't know. I actually was home just, I would have made it, but you know what? I think you'll understand. I was just devastated a little bit because training for me has always been such a huge, important part of my life. And not in terms of, you know, feeling I need to exercise, but I really enjoy it. I'm one of those kind of sadistic people that actually enjoys training because I think I found the things that I enjoy, like hiking. I love lifting weights too, but I think that's because it makes me feel kind of strong Mm. Um, and, you know, playing team sports. So I love training and breaking my leg was one of those things where I always thought it's my worst nightmare because what am I going to be able to do if I can't move? And I think, you know, a bit like yourself, I've come from a background of disordered eating and overtraining that I've never been put in the situation where I can't train. Am I going to be able to cope? So it was a lot to kind of deal with in the first 24 hours. And I was really afraid that, you know, I might be triggered or slip back into mm. old habits. 
So yeah, because when when you spoke, you were literally in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. There's like absolutely no reason you should have done the podcast that day <laughs> because yeah, it would have been yeah, it's like a lot to deal with and the pain. Like, uh, were you in pain? No, and that's the thing. Uh, when it happened, I was playing tennis, and I love sports. You know, mm. if someone's like, "Hey, do you want to go rock climbing?" I'm like, "Cool, let's do it." Like, I love doing every type of sports. And I was playing against my boyfriend and I was beating him. I was winning the set. It was the last point. I was about to whoop his ass. And I actually fell over my own lace. It was a really like unfortunate, like I wasn't even doing anything, you know, dangerous. I stood on my other shoelace and I was also going in the other direction, but my leg just stopped and yeah, I broke my fibula. So afterwards you know I fell on the ground really dramatically I was like I've broken my leg I've broken my leg my boyfriend was like no you haven't you're fine you're fine and I was like in my head oh I'm probably fine you know this will pain will ease now in a sec it's fine but I tried to stand up and I I was hopping I, I had to hop to the car and he was kind of lifting me and he was like out of a 10 what is it and I was like seven it's not that bad you know and he's like well then it's definitely not broken so I actually didn't go to hospital till the next day um, okay. I was like no you know what I'd never broken a bone I'm sure I'm fine it would be way sore if, if I'd broken it wasn't swollen wasn't bruised and and he's broken a lot of bones <laughs> and now he's like you have a very high pain threshold so I went to the A&E the next day and I you know I think when you go into A&E you kind of have to be dramatic you have to go in and be like my arm's about to fall off or something so I went in being like my leg is broken my leg is broken and they got me in straight away. They laid me down. They're like, oh, yeah, your leg is broken. And I was like, oh, oh, shit. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, and yeah, straight away, got put in. I, very lucky I got put into a boot so I can take it on and off. And yeah, then they just had to make sure that I wasn't, it wasn't broken anywhere else. But yeah, it was a big shock because I went from, you know, I think Ireland's very similar to the UK. Our restrictions are, have just lifted couldn't have happened at a worse time um and I was like all of a sudden left with this feeling like I've been waiting all year to get out and do things and I physically can't do them now so it's made me hugely appreciate the simple thing of going for a walk like I feel like a lot of us in lockdown have resented our, our little loop walks we've all been doing believe me take from someone who broke their leg don't take them for granted absolutely I know what what timing what timing mm-hmm. and it's yeah interesting that you kind of mentioned before that it is a bit of a mental challenge to suddenly break your leg and then have to deal with the like forced rest like it Mm. feels like it's not coming from a place of choice yeah um yeah why was that why would was that challenging for you and and what have you learned during this kind of period of rest because it's been about a week now is that right no so it's actually been two and a half weeks two and a half weeks. Macy, I'm, I'm terrible at time. I think it was a week ago. No, it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. I'm in a time warp now, especially since I've literally been in my head. I haven't even had to go to coffee to break up my day. So you could be right. But it is two, it was two weeks ago. I was like, wow, that's the language of my life. (laughs) Um, so yeah, look, I'm going to be honest, um, anyone who's listened to this, who knows me, has probably heard my own story with disordered eating. When it first happened and I realized I broke my leg, the first thing I thought of was, I, I, and I had a very like triggering thought with food was, I, I can't eat as much now. I need to cut back my food. Mm. And I really had to battle with that for the first kind of two days and really get to why I felt like that, why I was looking at food differently so quickly. and. I was really afraid that I've dealt with my overtraining and I have a really great relationship with training, but it's never been taken away from me. Can I actually rest and not feel guilty? So for the first two days, I was really, really trying to fight those thoughts that I would have had a lot in recovery about my body image and about training. And, you know, I, that dependency I would have had on it before. Um, so yeah, it, it was really challenging two days. I think anyone who has come from that history could maybe see themselves in a similar situation when something's taken away from you. Um, but as 
it's two weeks now and I'm 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 so surprised at myself not surprised but I it's actually made me realize how far I've come in my recovery with disordered eating and overtraining that I am thoroughly enjoying this rest and I'm eating I'm actually using this time to create so many recipes and eat them and just enjoy them because it's it's really been one of those moments where I've had to put into use everything I learned in therapy and it's worked and you know what that's absolutely incredible because I guess I've never really had to put it to the test that much I imagine so many people are like relating to what you have said because I know there will be people listening who have had these like injuries or or broke you know broken limbs or whatever it is and have had to kind of go oh okay I've got to do this and you're right it's so testament to like when you put in the work and you know you've like laid the foundation for it that when things do arise and you have that triggering thought that you don't have to necessarily act on it like you can see it for what it is and go oh I know that voice or like I know where that's coming from and I don't want to go there like I know what that was like before I don't want to do it again so for people who are being introduced to you for the first time, Roz, um, it would be really lovely to hear more about you and kind of your your story in terms of, as you mentioned, like your relationship with food. So I'm right in saying you started up started off modeling and were competing in the Miss World pageants. Is that correct? So I completely, and this is really funny, and you know, there's like politics obviously between the two. There's oh yeah, totally. And Miss Universe. So it was, um, look, I'm like just pageants. Do you know what I mean? They're all kind of the same thing. Um, so yeah, I started modeling when I was 18, when I went to college and I, I a, a photographer suggested I entered Miss Universe Ireland, which I did. And just to go back, when I started modeling in college, um, I was told constantly to tone up um but I had a really strong knowing of who I was and I didn't really give a shit so you know I was it's funny how I grew up with this really strong sense of who I was and that I didn't really need to change in order for people to like me and how that just got grained away throughout the industry Mm -hmm. so I went and uh, I won Miss Universe Ireland the second time I, I went for it and I then went on to Miss Universe and I actually had pretty good relationship with food now I think anyone who's in a pageant or in a big modeling competition, I was aware of food, but I was still able to go and indulge and not feel that bad about it, you know? So it was really after Miss Universe when I went and I ended up modeling abroad. I was in New York, South Africa, all around Europe and South America that I think there was just this added pressure. Not like in Ireland where I could just be like, this is who I am, take it or leave it. I didn't want to come home a failure. And when I was abroad modeling, I just was never, ever small enough. And that really started the pattern of resenting my body. Like I would walk by someone else on the street who had these gorgeous, you know, I suppose what I thought was attractive, which was a very slim physique and be like, why can't I be like that person? And, you know, I'm sorry if that comes across bad, but just in my mind at that time, being the smallest version of myself or being really skinny, which was, you know, kind of the trend back in 2010 and what my industry was demanding was all I wanted. And I would have sacrificed absolutely anything to be there. Um, And that just started my life cycle with diets. And I would go away abroad and I would lose loads of weight really quickly. And a week before I'd be due to go home, I'd start eating everything I wanted because I was like, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to be here next week. And I get home and I'd have put on loads of weight and my parents or my friends or family would be like, oh my God, you put on so much weight in comparison to your photos when you were modeling. And I was like, I hadn't really noticed it and I was fluctuating so much and I, it was just pinpointed out to me all the time. And I think it was going abroad, coming home and then two weeks before I'd go abroad again, I'd start starving myself to lose the weight so it started this really bad binge and purging bulimia on top of the dieting um which eventually when I stopped um modeling abroad and I decided to come home I was like I'm sick of this I'm not doing any more diets like I hate my I just hated myself and I really didn't feel like I deserved any of the opportunities I came home 
with the idea of getting myself out of that environment and stopping dieting to actually just developing anorexia. So, and I, it actually started through wanting to eat really healthy. Yeah. And, you know, working out and being consistent, which came with having really good willpower. And then it actually led to my worst eating disorder, which was, um, you know, well, it lasted about three and a half, four years, and then took about three years to actually recover from. Yeah, it's it's so interesting how wanting to be healthy and in what society would be like, oh, you're just doing the right things mm-hmm. and, you know, is doing the recommended things can actually be like a really toxic kind of path and relationship with like food and exercise. Um, in your kind of recovery from that time, you know, what, what did you have to unlearn? What, what were the things that you really had to kind of overcome and what have been your biggest lessons from that time? Well, I think one of the first things I had to really unlearn was my idea of what a perfect body was. Mm. Like my idea of a perfect body was just a skinny body. It didn't have to be healthy. Didn't matter what the insides were like. It was just physically small. Um, And I really had to look at what a body was again. And like, it wasn't just for show. A body has functionality. Um, And it it is really just the chunk of meat that covers the person and what they have to offer and like what kind of person they are. So I guess the first thing was my idea of what an acceptable body was. And, you know, that's not nice to admit either because I definitely was someone who was very judging of myself, but extremely projecting onto other people as well. And that's not nice. And I think one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to go get help and therapy was I didn't want to be the person that if I came into a room at a party, people were like, oh God, there's the fun killer because there was food around and I would automatically have to comment on other people's food and what I was eating and everything revolved around food and everything revolved around what weight I was and how I looked, that it was extremely toxic. And I could see that. And like, it almost made it worse because I knew what kind of person I was and it was like something had a hold of me it was like this other personality that like just had me and I felt that that was just who I was that was part of my identity and going into recovery I realized that I needed to lose my eating disorder to actually become who I was like my eating disorder had like latched onto my personality and like totally changed who I was and just referencing when I first started the modeling industry at 18 you know at about 27, I finally came back to that person. And it's like those, well, I'm a quick math, like nine seven nine years. years. <laughs> it was a nine, oh gee. Nine years were like stolen by mm-hmm. an eating disorder. And obviously I was putting loads of harm on myself, but I was also really unpleasant to be around. And I also, anyone listening to this who is going through an eating disorder, I, I hope that doesn't make you feel bad. Like mine you know, everyone's different. A lot of people, you may not even notice that they're going through something, but I think I was always surrounded by food, always surrounded by people in my job that it was very obvious that I wasn't having a good time. Um, and I guess the other thing I really had to unlearn was my relationship with food being good and bad. Like I was so afraid of carbohydrates. They're the greatest thing ever. Like, you know what I mean? They just make you instantly happy. And like, I had to unlearn this like whole idea that carbohydrates were the enemy and like, I could never have them. And that came, that came from going to so many trainers over the years who told me to eat porridge in the morning, you're never going to lose weight or, you know, cut out bread and the Duke can diet, all these diets that I would have been on. Um, so I really had to like take all, I remember one of my therapists explained it, like, they're like, imagine your brain is a basket full of apples. They were like, we can't just take one at a time. We need to empty everything out and rebuild it. And I guess that's what we kind of really did in terms of my opinions on bodies, not just my own bodies in general and food. Was it hard being like in an Irish family and, you know, just, I suppose my impression of Irish families, and you can absolutely um, kind of correct me if I'm wrong, is that it is a really like, 
food is a real like has a lot of like cultural importance and it's a really social thing and I mean especially you know and that includes like everything definitely going to include carbohydrates in there um potatoes well yeah <laughs> our whole like our whole like if I go home now with like my dad I look at him like he actually just lives off bread and potatoes, but like, um, and look, that might not be the case for every Irish family. I totally get that. But food is definitely the center of our family. Uh, it brings people together. Like I was taught how to cook from a very young age. My granny was a, a baking enthusiast. So was my aunties and like food has always been a really stronghold in our family. Um, so being the person who took the joy kind of away from food, I suppose, for a long time and, I guess I always had to have my own special meals when I go home. Like it got to the stage where my dad was like, I made this special thing for you because I know you won't eat this. And it, it must've been really wrecked the head for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone at the same time, my industry modeling allowed me to mask it. Everyone was like, Oh, she just has to do it for her job. You know, that no one really went, Hey, she's kind of taking this a bit far or she just won't eat. You know, we kind of have this joke in Ireland, but, you know, we grew up and I definitely grew up with the generation of finish everything on your plate. You know, there's people yeah. out there starving, finish everything on your plate. So I grew up with this kind of sense that food was not something to be wasted. So that led to a lot of kind of theory with binging maybe a lot as well. Um, and then the fact that I think, you know, like a lot of intergenerational, I don't think it's an Irish thing, but intergenerational issue of older generation just commenting on your way constantly totally I mean yeah. yeah my my I had a grandparent that would often go like oh okay diet starts on Monday then and you were kind of like oh just laugh it off because I was really fortunate <laughs> that that didn't get did not get reinforced by my parents mm. and it was like a relative who was like you know lived further away so we could kind of go for a visit and then you'd get that comment and just kind of eye roll but yeah there's a thing where it's like that's an acceptable thing to do and it's not and also the finishing the plate thing was a massive thing in my family of Mm -hmm. you know if you didn't finish your if you didn't finish your meal then it might get served up for breakfast then if you know like you've got to finish it at some point um and I think a lot of it does come from like that scarcity mindset of you Mm -hmm. know we're really fortunate that now we have this like huge abundance of produce available and food available and you know we're really fortunate um to be able to kind of have whatever we want and I think that's you know quite the privilege these days in comparison to um how people have lived in the past and you know how some people are living in the present I think but yeah I definitely definitely relate and and totally yeah it's so interesting how your family's kind of really want to do the best for you and kind of you know I went on a holiday with my family and I would I weighed my food out because I was like tracking macros at the time and I took my food scales and I weighed everything out on this holiday and they were just kind of I don't know not unsure as what to do in that Mm. in that you know uh, at that time like how do I help like is this because she's just telling us she's just being really healthy and and you know mindful of what Mm -hmm. she's eating and whatever um and I do think, you know, this whole, this whole thing of like, I'm going to have a lifestyle change is just kind of like diet covered in sparkles. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, yes. that's how mine's guard. Like, I'm going to finally have a good lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then it just all kind of backfired. And I think another thing to mention as well, that like, growing up, we were very much like, everything was made from scratch. Mm-hmm. We never had any junk food in the house. Sorry, I, I don't like using that phrase, junk food, but just back in you know, when I was a kid, we would reference this as junk food. But so when I did get my hands on it at my friend's house, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like I would just eat until I felt sick because I was like, I can't have this. So I think it's definitely made me, and I think like, you know what, I'm not saying, look, I'm not a parent. I've no way to parent. I have no idea how to parent kids, but I feel like I would love to try bring up my children with that intuitive eating that like, if they really want something, they can have it. Yeah, look, that might be totally wrong as well. Like, I have no idea, but... Well, I feel the same. And it's something that, like, now I'm 30, I'm kind of thinking, okay, more about how I want to do things when I hopefully get the chance to be a parent. And I'm like, yeah, there's certainly things I would do differently. And not just the food thing, but how we talk about 
people's mm-hmm. bodies and you know how even like I suppose going into the modeling industry of course it's very um it's a very objectifying industry right like that's just the nature of the job but that starts so young and you know even now like having a little niece and just being mindful that I'm not only praising her for being like beautiful but I'm you know she's so young but just always saying like you're so strong you're so clever you're so smart and like really and reinforcing that those things are so important and that you know how you said before like you literally have chunks of meat that actually are covering who you are and that that is the most important thing I mean that's the kind of thing I want I want to bring forward as a parent but also Mm. have definitely kind of had to learn and have definitely learned in that kind of recovery period in my life of like oh so like and this is especially a a female thing I I think for women it's very much like oh so it's not just my looks I have to offer and yeah yeah, I imagine for you like the transition out of modeling and into you know uh writing your cookbooks and and doing all that stuff like was that really was that do you you think that was also really an important part of that recovery of like really pursuing your other passions and and kind of fulfilling your potential in that sense yeah I guess you know what having an eating disorder really made me come to terms I used to be like why can't I just not like food Mm. but I actually grew up in a household that food as I said is the center of everything and not in a negative way, but in a way that like food brought us all together. We all cooked together. It created conversation around the table. That food was actually such a huge part of my life that I had to eliminate in order to have this eating disorder. That when I eventually went into recovery, I was like, this is what brings me joy. Like that I've been suppressing for so long. And perhaps maybe if I hadn't gone through the disordered eating and lost it, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it that much. Um, But transitioning from the modeling industry really came about when I went into recovery. One of the key things my therapist said was you need to watch your environment, like what is triggering in your environment. And it was turning up to photo shoots or fashion shows and people saying, you've gone up a size. And then everyone, we need new sizes for Roz. She's gone up a size or your shoulders have gotten too big or, you know, commenting on your food at lunch and I was like I can't do it anymore I'll never forget the breaking point I was on a shoot and I had done their campaign a year before when I was at my smallest and I had kind of I had I'd gone to therapy at 23 24 25 and it was only at 25 I really actually wanted to change and I had slowly been putting on some weight because I was really trying to combat my own thoughts with food and just let go a little bit um and I remember the second year I came back to the campaign, the woman who was, who shoot it was, just kept commenting on how unhappy she was because I looked so different and the clothes didn't look nice on me anymore. And like, I actually remember that was my point where I was like, you know what? I couldn't care less about this. Like if you're actually going to be that rude to my face when I'm here, like I'm a mannequin, I'm not a real person. I am gone. So I actually decided then, and I remember ringing my agent, just being like, I'm not doing any more fashion shows or shoots anymore. I will do like, if someone wants to use my personality to do something, which actually ends up kind of turning into like influencer things, you know, like I think it was that, I was very lucky at stage when I stopped modeling, like that whole kind of, I suppose, content creator started. So I was very fortunate that my timing was right. But I needed to get away from that industry. So for me, it wasn't a scary transition. It was just one that needed to happen in order for me to recover. So I was very definite. I was, I was nervous because it was also my only form of income, but I was also happy that I was doing something that was right. You know, you, you shouldn't have to like do a job or, or pursue something at the expense of your mental health. And if your mental health is suffering, then you're so right to address it and to prioritize it. And actually yeah being your mentally being your healthiest you know that's I I I think often when people are like pursuing beauty or pursuing even pursuing health they kind of forget about that mental health component and like you know it's like you know as you were saying it's like I just want to be small at all costs and Mm -hmm. I don't really care but actually it takes such a toll on on your mind 
Yeah, you know what? I recently saw a statistic and it was like, look, okay, I saw this on a nutritionist page, so I, I hope it's correct. Um, and it's a girl I follow who, who, who writes a lot about intuitive eating and I think positive ideals around body image. But she said, if people were told the success rate of a diet was only 5%, would they still do it? And I was like, why didn't somebody tell me that? You know, like it might work for a couple of months or a year, but then you are left in shatters and you, you feel so ashamed because you just can't keep it up. So much shame, so much shame. And, you know, similar, I mean, I didn't have the modeling background at all, but just the idea of like having this initial weight loss early in my 20s and then just trying to spend like the subsequent like three, four years just trying to get it back and realizing like I'm really trying to do everything here to to kind of you know lose weight as everyone's told me like I just need to do macros I just need to count calories I just need to be in a deficit whatever it was and like doing those things and still not and my body being like uh you are not meant to be this small you need to gain weight. <laughs> um, and I always, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I find it so ironic that I'm probably the same size I was as an 18 year old now and how my body's gone in this like full cycle of like clearly getting back to its kind of happy place and, you know, knowing that, okay, this is actually what's where I, I'm meant to be. You know, this is around my set point range. Um, it's so interesting how you have, like, if we knew that, they're designed to fail and the the whole idea is that like you do one for a bit it works great and then something happens and it's made to be your fault because it's like you didn't work hard enough you weren't dedicated enough you didn't have enough willpower and if you were just a little bit more disciplined you could you could have the dream um and that's why I get so frustrated with you know like you know, show, showing like eight week transformations, 12 week transformations, because we just never know what happens. After I'm like, that show time. me five year transformation yeah. when, you know, you realize that that is just impossible to keep up day to day. You know what yeah. I mean? And look, I also like, I'm someone who's very much like, I like to share my own journey because if I can say something to someone in their late teens, early twenties to stop them from developing mm. eating disorders, that's amazing. But you know, also if I see something online that I disagree with, I'm just like, they have to learn their own way as well. Cause like, totally. I'm, sure, I'm sure I've said stuff that were toxic in my early twenties. Now I was thinking about this the other day. I actually, I remember one of the first things I did in recovery was I went onto my blog and I took away any toxic language, like guilt-free, like, you know, like treats or anything mm. like that. And I took it away. Cause I was like, I realized now that that was me spinning my idea of food onto other people so I understand that everyone has to go through their own motions to get where they're going um and you know when I see someone who's in the depth of it and they're on social media I'm like oh you know what I'm like it's so sad because I'm like I wish I could reach out my hand but also I know that you won't unless you're ready you'll just take it really badly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And there's this whole idea of like calling people out online. And I hate, I, I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of that. Like I, I'm, I will call out things like diet culture because that is an, an individual person that is a, a massive system. And it's not a case of blaming the individual because they're just a victim of the same thing that I was a victim of. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, we should never blame the victims, but, um, but blame the kind of culture that makes that, yeah, that, that kind of, that reinforces those ideas. Mm. Um, and it is really hard because I know I said things, oh my goodness, if you scroll back through my various (laughs) social media pages, it's not good for me. It is not good. Like it does not look good for me. But But, isn't that the thing though as well that like, you can't ever be ashamed of something you've done or said in the past because if you can honestly put up your hand and go, I have learned and that's yeah. just part of my journey, I think it's so much more relatable because like anyone who's listened to this who's in their 30s, the same as us who've been through it, they'll probably go, oh my God, I, I thought the same thing. We just had, we just had an L phone to scream it out, you know? So um, like, I think it's, it's one of those things that we're at the right place at the right time now. Totally. You know, so. Yeah. And 
yeah this is another thing that I've said you know once you know better you do better and therefore I just have a lot of compassion for my past self I have a lot of compassion for her because she really genuinely believed she was doing the best thing and like my Instagram name used to be clean fit lifestyle because it very much I remember I think I appreciate her following you back then well I was like very foodie vibes as well and yeah just wanted to be like that's genuinely what I thought was being healthy and that's why I like make this podcast and write about this stuff because if I can help someone avoid the pitfalls you know and maybe make a better decision at certain points than I did like that that's that's kind of huge now I want to talk about more about this kind of fitness stuff so one thing I just love um that you do is the hike life and I just want to talk more about that because it looks incredible and when we can I want to come because it just looks epic yeah so I I grew up in Tipperary which is the south of Ireland and I grew up on the foot of this mountain called Sheevan Man so I've literally been hiking my entire life before I could even walk there's photos of me my auntie on my auntie's shoulders like so um I guess hiking for me has always been something I've done I never really looked at it as training it it was more like it was more like I want to get out of the house. My parents are wrecking my head. I'm going to go for a walk up the woods, you know? I was about to say, did you go on your walks voluntarily? Because my parents used to drag me kicking and screaming on these like country walks. But now it's like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, you know what? When I was really young, they would drag me like on walks. And it was probably when I got into my teens when I wanted space. I really went off by myself. And it's funny, like there's a space in on the mountain that I used to go as a kid like as a teenager sorry when I'd like go through a breakup or like I was going through a bad time in school and I'd always sit there and I still go there every time I go home you know so it's I feel very comfortable in the mountains um I know for a lot of people they might say oh my god you're going alone but I have a huge sense of like calm and ease when I'm out hiking and yeah I guess just through the power of social media sharing my hiking a lot of people were like just into it as well but they didn't have someone else to go with they didn't know the route they were afraid they were going to get lost and yeah I just started inviting people I was like hey I'm hiking here tomorrow if you want to come (laughs) and then it just kind of turned into a whole community so obviously with COVID we haven't done any hikes in the past year but as soon as my boot comes off in two and a half weeks we I'll be doing it like every second weekend again so it's really nice because you know what like it's nice to be able to bring someone on a hike and I have like all qualified guides to come with me. Um, and like, they'll always come back and do that again and bring someone else who will come back again and bring someone else. So it's like getting people maybe in their twenties, their thirties, obviously look, the hike life is open to everyone, like no matter what age you are or anything, but it is usually younger generations that come or my generation and just getting them into hiking a little bit younger, because I feel like we have this, I sense I'm probably from growing up that a lot of people who hike are like an older generation who are into hiking when in fact it's actually one of the most I think important things for us as millennials gen z's whatever it is to get out hiking get off our phones and have a bit of escape from our day-to-day stresses because not much else does that I feel like when we go to a gym there's like dance crazy dance music in the background or like even when we're going to yoga like obviously yoga is great for a bit of you know mindfulness and everything like that but we're surrounded by other people in a room whereas I feel like hiking brings something else to it where it's like it's just a little bit of a reset button I I always like yeah totally feel that I've got my friend um Vic always says that especially like when you get out in nature and mountains and stuff it really helps put things in perspective because you feel so kind of almost small and insignificant compared to like the mountains and you're like oh okay I am just a little dot in this massive yeah like world and it's gonna be okay yeah and I you know what when we talk about hiking I just I always think I'm so lucky like in Ireland we're so lucky because wherever you are in Ireland in under half an hour there's like an amazing mountain with deer and and mountain goats and stuff wherever you know and I feel like the exact same when I am hiking and I put into perspective of where I am in comparison to everything else around me you realize that there's so much other things going on in the world that whatever you're worrying about or uh overthinking about isn't 
the worst case scenario like it's not the biggest thing and I often when I go out hiking I'm having like hypothetical arguments in my head but when I come back when I come back look they're not look they're not gone but I'm like they'll be grand they're everything's more manageable you know I love coming up with all the comebacks that I couldn't think of in the moment that is like my favorite you know like I should have said and next time they tell this I'm just gonna say this and then it's never as good as yeah, I do that too. It's like, you know, someone trolls you and then you reply and I'm like, oh, I should reply to something else. <laughs> I know, I should have done this. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose like when you hadn't broken your leg and stuff, has has kind of hikes or solo hikes or, you know, like with your partner and stuff featured heavily in your kind of coping of with COVID? Well, in Ireland, we had one of the strictest lockdowns in Europe. So we actually had like a five kilometer radius where we couldn't leave five kilometers. So I'm very lucky that I live by the sea. So I've been able to go sea swimming and stuff like that. But Mm. I actually have been coping really grand. And I I kind of have a bit of COVID guilt saying that because I understand that lots of people have lost their jobs, lost loved ones, and have been finding it really challenging to be isolated. But I, I think that, you know, I've been very fortunate in the area I live in. There's actually a lot to do in our five kilometers. And I've also been very lucky that I can work from home. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of COVID guilt about that because I feel like I've had an easy ride this year, you know. I mean, just the opportunity to kind of, yeah, go swimming and stuff. You're such an outdoors baby, aren't you? Yeah, you know what? One of my best friends, Nora, um, she actually is from, lives in London and she's always like, but put Roz in a kayak she'll be gone you know and like I love look don't get me wrong I like going to the gym but if I can do some sports outside like rock climbing or hiking kayaking open water swimming like I'll be there and I think I grew up down in the country in the middle of nowhere we still do not have internet in 2021 there's still no internet there no no internet at all like yeah but you're relying on 4g and there's only 3g there so um all there was to do was go outside you know? And I suppose when it comes to like the fitness and you spoke about overtraining in the past, did you ever consider all these outdoor activities to be training or were they like a separate thing for you? So, um, when I was in the height of overtraining, it was really gym based. Mm. I would go to the gym like three times a day and, um, I didn't actually do a huge amount of outdoor things. But I think that's because I was really scared to go out of my routine. So I, in my eating disorder, I didn't actually go home that much because I associated home with overeating and like not being able to control my food um, and not having a gym nearby. I really looked at weight loss and the gym being really intertwined. I actually didn't really look at like going for a walk or a hike as exercise because I was like, I have to be like pumping sweat or running. I did a lot of running. And then look, I still love running. I like running. I don't love running. I like it. But um, (laughs) I just did it obviously very obsessively. And in my recovery, my, my training took a little bit longer to actually recover. And it wasn't until I actually went and I decided one of, I think one of the biggest things for me is if I can educate myself on something, it helps me to understand it better. So I actually went and I did a PT course and I was like, the only reason I was really there was just to learn about rest. And honestly, and it's funny because you might think like if I went to a PT course, I might become more obsessed with training, but I actually just learned the importance of like training smart and taking rest. And then that, that definitely kind of like stopped my overtraining. And then two years after that, I guess, I just really got more in tune of what kind of training I was doing. So sometimes I'd wake up and be like, I am not Aris going lifting weights right now. Or like, I could not, oh, the thought of going for a run. So I'm just going to do some yoga. Even though like, you know, it's a different type of exercise. It's the one I feel like doing right now. So I definitely feel like my training journey was a lot slower to battle. I love that you mentioned the rest thing because I've been I've literally been writing something about that today and I do think that's actually one of the key pieces that we don't learn about fitness mm. that we learn like you should do this workout to burn this amount of calories and this is the best one for 
you know, to get a big butt and this is the one, but no one says like how important rest is not only for your, your physical recovery in terms of your body actually adapting to the training stimulus and, and actually responding to what you're giving it. Mm. But also the need to like mentally rest and to the need to just be and how, I don't know about you, but as someone who is mm, a control freak, I mean, I'm a recovering controlling person. I'm, <laughs> I'm really like, it's, it's funnily enough, you meet a lot of people who've had <laughs> difficult relationships with food mm-hmm. and exercise. They're probably a bit controlling yeah. and a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So there's those two things. And yeah, just being able to be and therefore in my being, being able to actually give myself the space and time to really open myself up to kind of what else is going on for me. And a lot of it is to do with maybe like my emotions or my mental health in general, like having that chance to kind of that's that literally physical stillness um, and to not be distracted by like this workout and that workout and whatever. It's massively helped me um, know myself more. And I have to say that's even something I have probably learned more latterly in like the last few years and especially through therapy as well myself I'm like oh I never knew how to rest like mentally rest as well Mm -hmm. like it wasn't always just a physical you need to take time from the gym like I managed to do that but the actual mental rest as well and like that's been my biggest learning probably this past year where we've had a force slowing down and I think that's helped me get to know myself better I love resting <laughs> and I think you know I am really outdoorsy person if you meet me I'll be like come on let's do a sunrise hike but I also really appreciate like bedtime and resting mm-hmm. and like literally turning my phone off and just like having a Netflix day or whatever it is because yeah like I've I've had bad burnouts and it like hasn't even been from overtraining or whatever it's just been from mentally being on all the time and not even be able to sit down and watch TV without having my laptop open and doing something, you know? Um, so I've, I've definitely learned from not letting myself burn out again, because you're actually useless to <laughs> you're you know what, you're better off taking days off. And when you do have a day on being ready to go and having ideas and being creative and being there 100%. Quality over quantity. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Learn, learning the hard way for mm-hmm. sure. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, which is totally left field before you go, but I just wanted to talk to you about it and we can have it on, on the train happy podcast record. Um, this is a total side note. One thing I love about you on Instagram right now is the secrets and I bet everyone's been talking to you about it, but I am just shocked every time I can't imagine being you because I know that there are even worse ones you haven't shared no there's some I haven't and just to give some context I do this um box on my insta stories it's like tell me a secret they're anonymous and non-judgmental so when I share them you know you won't know who it's from and I won't give my opinion on it um for reasons because I'm like whoa and you know when I first started sharing it people used to dm me and be like this is awful this is I can't be that person and I'm like it's not me who did it I didn't do it I didn't cheat on my husband of 15 years (laughs) you know but the secrets people send into me I'm like I feel so boring I am such a boring person I have such a vanilla life yeah vanilla everything I'm vanilla everything (laughs) so um yeah look and you know what that's the thing I don't even share some of them some of them I'm like that's illegal I can't share that so yeah and you know what I I have a really big barrier like I don't look at whoever sent them like I don't want to know because I'm also like I I get like a little bit of like anxiety for them because I don't think I could live with like a big secret like they're telling now a lot of them are funny like we have loads of shitting the pants stories which are great like you know they're my favorite it's like you know I went to a fancy restaurant on the way home with my with my boyfriend's parents I left out a fart but it was a poo and I'm like love that kind of stuff you know what I mean that's like that's like the stuff you try to take to your grave you know you're like I can't believe I did that um but as I I did a poll like how many adults have poo their pants and um like from nights out and things like that and also I don't want to be I I as someone who has Crohn's I'm not saying this in a funny way because I know a lot of people that have issues with that so it just isn't doesn't mean to offend anybody but in terms of like from nights out or like 
I didn't realize it was a thing. Kadoji curry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or if you um, are drinking and you have some uh, weed. I didn't realize that that was a thing. A lot of people sent that in, that you might poo your pants. So um, yeah, and it's definitely opened the conversation of loads of my friends and family who've been like, oh, I've done that. And I'm like, what? Yeah, so I feel kind of also left out that that hasn't happened to me yet. It still has happened. I feel like... So you need to keep doing them. You need to keep doing them. So if anyone needs to just go follow Roz, if you don't already, just like... I just love all that you do, but the the secrets is such oh, yeah. a highlight. They're great. They're so you know what? I feel like in lockdown, they've been they've been a nice distractor for everybody, um, myself included, because although you feel very boring after, you kind of a lot of them you come across what like one every five, you actually just start crying laughing because they're just so funny the stories people have. And do you know what I would say as well? Never trust your housemates. Okay, never trust your housemates. Some of the ones of people putting toothbrushes down the loo. Yeah. And bad stuff. Listen, be nice to those housemates. Stealing underwear. Oh, weird stuff going on. Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't imagine. There's this other. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this other thing I saw, and it was like on the news. So I started following this Instagram account, and they do these things where they send in these postcards. They they send out postcards to people, mm-hmm. and then they send in their like anonymous secret, and it will be like from one the other day was like I used the communal potato peeler to to grate off my hard skin on my feet oh my god (laughs) but then it will be like to the other thing where it's like I I met someone on um online and we've been having this passionate love affair and we meet in the bushes on this (laughs) thing and it's like (laughs) it's wild I don't know. There's just so much scandal about, about and it just, yeah, it just makes life a bit more exciting yeah. hearing everyone else's like, secrets. Since everyone is here on the podcast listening, there is a podcast called Mr. Apology and Ooh. it's by Wondery and it's basically this guy years ago in New York set up this line called Mr. Apology where people could call in and apologize for things, but it got so out of hand and it's really, so if you love a bit of secrets, that's a great one um, to listen oh, to. Wow. But um, yeah, I never forget reading an article before about a housemate who like that shaved her feet and put in a parmesan bag her her housemate and I was like oh my god I'm never living with anybody and you know what I've always been like wow that is that is that's sadistic you know yeah oh I I I think I think in my life I've never crossed anyone to the extent that they would do that no, to me. But I hope not. No, I hope not. But also I'm like, God, I'd never even think of doing that. You know? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, Roz, we ask everyone who yeah. comes on the podcast to share their train happy moment. And this is like a moment where you're listening to your body, um, you're doing the movement you enjoy, or you're just a win against diet culture. I would love to hear like a recent one. That you've had. You know what? I really have to say, no, win against diet culture would definitely be my situation of breaking my leg mm. and having to really use everything that I've learned in the past four years in recovery to not let that affect my relationship with food and exercise and my body. And I came out of that like it was three, it was two days of me being like, you can eat normally. This is so what? I don't even have weight scales. I won't even notice anything because I haven't weighed myself in so long, like four years. And I'm not going to start that now. I'm not going to undo absolutely everything I've worked so hard for in the past four years because I need a rest. Um, and I guess my win when it comes to training has been in lockdown. I got to a stage in lockdown where, you know, I might have only tra- trained like three times a week and I felt good. And I was like, wow, I didn't. I took like three or four rest days a week and I enjoyed them. I didn't feel like anxious or stressed that I needed to train. And I could see someone online training. I'm like, cool, good for them. You know, nothing was triggering me. So I definitely think this year, spending a lot more time on my phone and with the situation I'm in now has definitely made me realize I've come a long way. Have you heard of um, the work of Beauty Redefined? Do you know them? If you don't, I'll send them to you because they're incredible. They do amazing body image work and they talk about some things that you have like body image disruptions, they call it. And like you'll get this disruption and for you it might be like breaking your leg and thinking Mm -hmm. like, oh crap, like all these things that I had being taken away from me. And it's 
what you do with that disruption is rather than like like I kind of said before rather than immediately going to old behaviors and old thoughts that you choose to go a different way and like that's really a great way to work on that kind of healing and that continued healing and like stuff's going to keep coming up these disruptions are going to happen and it's how you deal with it and it's not the fact that you may have those thoughts and you may you know feel triggered in some way it's it's more like the way you deal with it and their whole thing as well is um and this made me think about with the modeling thing earlier their whole mantra is your body is an instrument to be used not an ornament to be looked at and I just love yeah. what they do. And I kind of, I, I, I probably quote them like at least once a day because they're just so on the money with their work um, in body image. And it just really is such a great reminder of like, oh, okay. And even when you can't do in some ways right now, right? Even mm-hmm. if you're injured, it's like your body is healing. Like how incredible yeah. is that? Oh, listen, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, next time I go get a scan, my bone will be together again. Yeah not mad you know and obviously people will be like yeah that's what your body does but I think when you come from a um an area where you had no respect or lack of respect for your body you know these things are also amazing and my sister recently gave birth and like her journey and like she would have suffered with her body image as a teenager very badly and you know she was like going through all the motions of it and like you know filling me in because I suppose she understands my relationship that I've had with my body and you're like God, women's bodies are unbelievable, aren't they? Oh. Like, it's so sad, like, how we look at them so one-dimensionally in the media. Totally, yeah. yeah. And we we don't, like, appreciate that they, they do fluctuate and our bodies do change and we're not meant to... Well, you're not going to wear the same pair of jeans for the rest of your life, do you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, and I know it's shit because you might buy a really expensive pair and you're like... Oh, get some side panels at the side, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like upcycle them, you know, and like, or like just don't be afraid to get rid of them. Like I used to have this thing where I held on to all my small clothes being like, I'll get back into them. And I remember the day just liberating, just being like, they're gone. Like just, they're gone. Gone. Is such a, it's such a powerful moment when you yeah. do that as well. Mm-hmm. And just going, I don't hold myself to that standard anymore. Like I am learning to be in the present mm. and not the future I, ha- I had this question recently on, on social media saying you know like oh what what do you think about your body kind of changing as you go back to teaching regularly and mm-hmm. I teach spin classes regularly and and you go back to being more active again and I know you're working on your fitness for that like what do you like how do you worry about not thinking like oh my goodness I'm gonna lose weight yeah and you know I I think it's learning to just be in the present and say like I don't know what my body's going to do I cannot predict the future and if I try to and I try to pin my hopes on something that um I'm not going to try and intentionally make happen then I'm just setting myself up for um failure and and setting myself up to be thoroughly disappointed about something that I don't even want to feel disappointed at I Mm. want to be completely as hard as it is sometimes like I want to be okay in the present and not think like oh you know back then and and you know maybe in a few months time it's hard it's so hard but um and I recognize like I don't know sometimes it's easier for me because I know that um I am like a straight-sized person so I know that you know whatever but it is interesting how being in the present can really help you just stay focused on on what's important yeah and like you know what I totally get what you mean saying in the present but sometimes I do this thing where like when I was going through an eating disorder if someone gave me a glass ball to look into the future all I would have wanted to know was was I skinny Mm. was I small like when I even when I was 80 how did I look wow and now I'm like what I want to see in the glass ball that I can still go for a walk on the beach I can still go for a walk that like I have actually protected my body from deteriorating and like that's why you know training is still important to me it's not like aesthetic it's more like look I want to be in well-oiled car do you know what I mean that I'm like I'm still running when I'm 80 and I don't mean as in like actually physically running but like I'm still able to get in and out of the car like I am a moving functioning person that like hasn't wrecked their body do you know what I mean and I feel like that's by doing it like fueling it the right amount moving it 
when it feels like it needs to be moved in the right way and not just like overrunning it. Um, and so sometimes when I have that triggering thoughts, I'm always like, what do I want to be when I'm older? Moving well. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> we moving well and like just because I feel like one of the most important things and even I, f- I feel it with my leg now is like things that bring you happiness is being able to like go to the beach or go to places that you like and be able to do things with your loved ones and like our body allows us to do that it's the memories it's making the memories isn't it you mean and sometimes the memories is food I always think I'm always like some of my best memories are just food memories like having gelato for the first time I remember I remember actually being like oh my god I don't even like ice cream now because I'm like gelato is like the best thing in the world and like having pizza in Italy for the first time like you know what I mean like food memories are such a big thing for me and I'm like I think of all the times I went on holidays and it wasn't actually a lot when I was going through disordered eating because I did not like going out of routine but like how I just wouldn't allow myself to have something that I liked because I was afraid that one thing would wreck everything or I would just binge and get into that cycle again um so yeah live truly living my best life with food at the moment like I think it'll be I I'm pretty assured now that while I question do you ever fully get over an eating disorder I think you get to a stage where it doesn't affect you might get a thought and literally it just gets so much easier to rationalize and move on from definitely I I think it's a case of you just you can see it coming and you can you know just like like I say like you can act on it and you can or choose another way and and the the more work you do the more you want to choose another way mm-hmm, Ros, this has just been like so much fun to chat with you where can everyone find you find the secrets find your work find your recipes everyone's like the secret so um <laughs> uh, I'm and I have a secret highlight that you can check out and if you ever ever coming over to Ireland go at the hike life we I've issued guides for hikes all over Ireland and really cool Instagram photos so you can see where's the best viewpoints and stuff and loads of information and you know I'm gonna drag you over to Ireland for a hike so I would love to yeah. and don't you even have like hike life apparel which is so yeah cool. yeah I do yes yeah, <laughs> yeah so um and the great thing is our next launch we're actually doing from a size four to size 30 amazing oh so, yeah really happy because um when we first launched there was now when I first launched it was a uh, back in November last year and um oh the sizing just was like such a nightmare to deal with so I've worked on on it for the past eight months now and like it looks amazing and I'm so happy to actually be able to have a hiking brand that's trying to be exclusive and work and working on that as well because you know long term I would love that you know we could even expand the sizing more do you know what I think it's so refreshing people making like having these inclusive size ranges and making it for people because like you said the outdoors is for everyone hiking is for everyone yeah. and you know I I just think the more people have and your stuff's like really cute so the more people have like really nice things to wear the more they want to they feel confident in their environment and they know they've got the right gear like it makes such a difference so and do you know what there's actually I, I feel like one of the best things about it was um through launching the hike life um I, I had lots of great conversations with people who were in size inclusivity like e- e- whether they were consultants or they were people who I suppose um advocate for it online mm-hmm. and they made me understand the importance so I really have to like almost give a shout out to them for making me make you make it one of the key strands to the brand do you know what I mean yeah um and like I feel like now as well that like I kind of I suppose now I've seen I can do it as a really small independent one person business if I can do it it makes me go look at the big brands and be like dude why haven't you done it catch up because this is where the world is going like if I can do it and fund it myself like you can do it you know what I mean totally oh it's been an absolute pleasure it's been such a pleasure and I will definitely be taking you up on a a hike in Ireland for sure thank you thanks bye
And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. 